Well, thanks very much, group, and thank you, uh, David, for leading us so far. Do turn in your Bibles to Matthew chapter 8, verses 1 to 4, page 972, one of those uh, two readings that Claire read for us earlier in the service. Uh, Matthew 8, page 972. You should be able to find a Bible somewhere uh, near and close to you, and I think it will help you if you have it open so that you can see where I'm going as we begin a new series over the next four weeks looking through um, chapter 8 of Matthew. It was just about a year ago that I met uh, a fascinating man at a formal function that I was at. Uh, He knew I was a vicar, and so he told me about his own interest in theology. Uh, He'd looked into Islam and uh, when he was younger, and he found himself uh, particularly drawn also to Eastern religions, uh, latterly. He thought Hinduism's readiness to embrace Jesus into its pantheon of gods was, in his words, a wonderful demonstration of religious tolerance. So I asked him more about what he thought about Jesus. Well, he said, I like to think of Jesus as a great teacher and a kind man. I like to think Jesus would be pleased with any religious attempt towards a peaceful world and a search for truth. That was how the conversation went on. It was a great and stimulating, fascinating conversation. And some of what he said was true. Jesus is kind, he is a great teacher. But as this man went on talking about how he liked to see Jesus, it became clear that the Jesus that he was describing was certainly not the historical Jesus of the Bible, the Jesus that you and I can read about here in the pages of Matthew's Gospel. Uh, Perhaps more surprisingly, I find the same among people who call themselves followers of Jesus Christ. In conversation, it becomes clear the one they say they're following bears little resemblance to the real Jesus of the New Testament. Uh, They follow a Jesus who never challenges their priorities, who never makes demands upon them and never commands them how to live. And that, of course, is to believe in a virtual Jesus. He's not real but there are enough similarities to make him virtually real. Uh, But let's be clear this evening as we look at Matthew 8 and right through uh, these next few weeks, virtual reality is a million miles away from the real thing. It was a few years ago now that Caroline and I went to Disney World, Florida, for for a holiday. It was before we had children. That is definitely the best time to go to Disney World, Florida. Uh, before you have children. You don't want to have to drag them around and ruin all the fun. Uh, what a great time uh, I had. I loved it. Um, every bit of it. The Tower of Terror, Alien Encounter, the Epcot Centre. Now, the Epcot Centre is an interesting place. That was where I had my first taste of virtual reality. I put on this very sophisticated headset, which covered my eyes and ears, and I found myself suddenly in a virtual room. When I turned my head, I could see all around the room. In the world of virtual reality, I walked through doors that weren't there, into rooms that didn't exist, and picked up items that were a figment of someone else's imagination. I was in a highly sophisticated and glorious world of make-believe. The world of virtual reality is a great world to be in. You can bump into things and not be hurt. You can run around and not get exhausted. And if it's your thing, you can even kill people with no repercussions. Uh, Take the headset off and whatever you've done, you can just walk away from it. Whatever's happened, even if you make a real pig's ear of it, it doesn't matter, it doesn't make any difference whatsoever to real life. That is the beauty of the world of virtual reality. And that, of course, is the appeal of following a virtual Jesus. You can meet him and still live your life just as you always did. 
And many people who call themselves Christians live just like that. Jesus makes little impact on their lives, at work, at home, in their relationships, in what makes them tick. I like to think of Jesus as... It sounds very appealing until you stop and think about it. Because a virtual Jesus can make no difference at all to reality. So a virtual Jesus can't help those I know whose son has just been killed. A virtual Jesus can't answer my prayers when I'm in distress. And a virtual Jesus can't forgive my sin or give me eternal life when I die. And that's why at the end of the day a virtual Jesus is no use whatsoever. And that's why Matthew wants us to meet the real Jesus. That's one of the main reasons for Matthew writing his gospel. And over these next weeks, as we study chapter 8 of Matthew's gospel, as we come face to face with the real Jesus, he will expose any virtual Jesus we have in our mind as a fraud. Uh, See, let me just give you a taster for these next few weeks before we dive into this week. Next week we will see the real Jesus says to unbelieving Jews, chapter 8, verse 11... I say to you that many will come from the east and the west and will take their places at the feast with Abraham, Isaac and Jacob in the kingdom of heaven, but the subjects of the kingdom will be thrown outside into the darkness where there will be weeping and gnashing of teeth. Now that's not politically correct at all. Jesus says here, religion won't save you. In a few weeks' time, we'll hear the real Jesus tell us what it means to really follow him. Look at chapter 8, verse 21. Um, In chapter 8, verse 21, what does it say? Another disciple said to him, Lord, first let me go and bury my father before I follow you. I'll follow you, Jesus, just let me bury my father first. And look what the real Jesus says to him, isn't it shocking? Verse 22, follow me and let the dead bury their own dead. Uh, Look back to verse 19. Does your Jesus say this? This is the real Jesus. Verse 19. A teacher of the law came to him and said, Teacher, I'll follow you wherever you go. And Jesus replied, Foxes have holes and birds of the air have nests, but the Son of Man has nowhere to lay his head. You see, surely Jesus wouldn't make those demands of people. Not today with the church attendance in decline as it is. It's quite a surprise, isn't it? when you come face to face with the real Jesus. Don Carson, in this excellent little book, When Jesus Confronts the World, says this, The authentic Jesus, the real Jesus, regularly turns out to be unforeseen, unpredictable, unnegotiable, and, in any real encounter with him, unavoidable. But remember as we go through this, a virtual Jesus is no good to us in reality. And so Matthew wants us to introduce us to the real Jesus. Because whether we acknowledge it or not, all of us, without exception, need the cleansing touch of Jesus. And that's the point of these opening verses of chapter 8. That's what uh, chapter 8, verses 1 to 4 is all about. This amazing meeting between Jesus and a leper happened, verse 1, do you see it? When Jesus came down from the mountainside with large crowds following him. Crowds of people followed Jesus, the real Jesus, because in the previous two chapters they'd been listening to Jesus preach a sermon that was absolute dynamite. It was a sermon that chapter 7, verse 28, had amazed the crowd because, verse 29, he taught as one who had authority and not as their teachers of the law. See, uh, this was a, a load of Jews who were listening to Jesus as he spoke. They had heard countless sermons before in their synagogues, but none like this one. 
they heard Jesus say the most amazing things. In chapter 7, verses 21 to 23, Jesus said, whether you enter heaven or not depends on me. Do you hear that? Whether you enter heaven or not depends on me. See, speaking of judgment day, he says, chapter 7, verse 22, many will say to me on that day, Lord, Lord, did we not prophesy in your name and in your name drive out demons and perform many miracles? Then I will tell them, I never knew you. Away from me, you evildoers. No religious tolerance there. And earlier in the Sermon on the Mount, Jesus had claimed to be the final and definitive authority and fulfilment of the Hebrew Scriptures. He said over and over again, you have heard it said, but I tell you. I'll give you the final word on the Hebrew Scriptures. His words were dynamite. And as the crowds listened, they were staggered and amazed by his teaching, which is why they followed him in chapter 8, verse 1. But as we come to chapter 8, there's one big question. Does really Jesus, does Jesus really have that kind of authority that he claims to have? I mean, look, honestly, go down the pub and you can hear people making all sorts of big claims for themselves all the time, can't you? You know, all the things they've done, all the things they're going to do. Is that all Jesus is, all mouth and trousers? Does he really have the last word on the eternal destiny of every man and woman and boy and girl who's ever walked this planet? Is he really the final authority on the word of God? These astonishing claims. Well, here's the first moment of truth. Chapter 8, verse 2. A man with leprosy came and knelt before him and said, Lord, if you're willing, you can make me clean. Well, can he? See, now we'll see if Jesus can really deliver. Can he cleanse a leper? It's a key moment in Matthew's Gospel and it's a key moment for us. The crowds have been wowed and wooed by his authority. Now we'll see if he's really got what it takes. This is the moment of truth, isn't it? Not that most of us read it that way because most of us know how the story ends. We were listening when it was read earlier. We know how it ends. We know the sorts of things Jesus does. We've become blasé about the way he heals people. We're nonchalant that Jesus raises people from the dead. We're so familiar with the mighty works of Jesus that we don't feel the force of this moment between verse 2 and verse 3. See, verse 2, Jesus is confronted by a leper who wants Jesus to heal him. Before you read on to verse 3, you should be thinking, can he do it? Can he? A few years back, my my brother went to Ethiopia. When he got back, I I asked him, it was on the phone, I asked him all about the trip, and and the first thing he told me was about his own meeting with a leprosy sufferer. As he told me about it, it became clear that it had been a a moving and and defining moment for him, not just on the trip, but for his life. He told me what a shock it was as the leper removed her hood and and exposed her, her disfigured face. He explained to me how this disease had ruined her whole life. She was an outcast, had no friends. And as he told me about it, I said something inappropriate about leprosy being curable today. And my brother said to me, the woman I met didn't have any digits left. Now can you see this man kneeling before Jesus? Verse 2, Lord, if you are willing, you can make me clean. Could he? Could Jesus do that? You see, in the first century, leprosy was an incurable disease and highly contagious. Those who contracted the disease were forced to live apart from society, isolated, ostracised, lonely. Contracting leprosy was a living hell. 
See, your world would fall apart when you went to the doctor and you heard him say, look, I'm sorry to tell you, but uh, you've got leprosy. If you could get your thoughts together, you might ask the doctor, and what's the treatment, doctor? And he'd reply, well, I'm sorry, there is no treatment. There's nothing we can do. There's no cure. In fact, I've got to ask you to leave your home immediately and go and live in the leper colony today. But but that's miles away and I don't know anyone there. Uh, Yes, I, I know, I'm terribly sorry. And how long do I have to stay there? Well, until you get better. Until I get better, but you said there is no cure. That's right. See, to contract leprosy was the end of life in any meaningful sense of the word. It was a death penalty. And so to be healed from leprosy was tantamount to being raised from the dead. That's how the Jews saw it. To be healed would take a miracle, a miracle that only God could do. That's how the Jews saw it. Uh, Look, uh, keep your finger in in Matthew 8, if you will, and come back with me to 2 Kings. Uh, Page 373 is the page number. And we'll see how, uh, in Jewish thought, uh, leprosy was really uh, the end of your life and only God could heal you. Page 373. Uh, 2 Kings chapter 5 and... uh, Verses 6 and 7 of the verses we're going to look at. Page 373, 2 Kings chapter 5. Now, now as we land in 2 Kings 5, it's the story of Naaman, commander of the army of the king of Aram. He was a very powerful man, a great man. But we find that this great commander was uh, inflicted with leprosy. Uh, To cut a long story short, the king of Aram, uh, the commander's boss, the king of Aram, sent Naaman to the king of Israel with a letter asking the king of Israel to cure Naaman of his leprosy. And when the king of Israel got the letter, he thought that the king of Aram was trying to pick a fight with him. Look at 2 Kings 5 verse 6. The letter that he took to the king of Israel read, With this letter I am sending my servant Naaman to you so that you can cure him of his leprosy. As soon as the king of Israel read the letter, he tore his robes and said, Am I God? Can I kill and bring back to life? Why does this fellow send someone to me to be cured of his leprosy? See how he's trying to pick a quarrel with me? Who does he think I am? Notice in verse 7, am I God? Can I kill and bring back to life? You see, that's the way Jews thought about leprosy. Healing somebody of leprosy was like raising someone from the dead. It was the domain of God alone. And that's why this request back in chapter 8, Matthew 8, is so astonishing. The leper is asking for the impossible from Jesus unless Jesus can do the the impossible. The leper is saying, I think you're God because I think you can do this. At that level alone, this incident is dynamite. But listen, this is so much more than a request to be healed. Look again at the language of verses 2 and 3 of Matthew 8. It's not heal, but cleanse. Verse 2, you can't make me clean. Verse 3, be clean. At the end of verse 3, immediately he was cured. That would better be translated. Immediately he was made clean. The leper was not only physically ruined, he was spiritually ruined. He was unclean. And to be a leper was considered in Jewish law to be under God's curse. Now that's why we had Leviticus chapter 14 read. I'll let you read that when you get home again. Being a leper left you not only ostracised from society, but unclean before the Lord God Almighty, spiritually condemned. 
separated from a relationship with the Lord God of Israel. And and so it's that language of cleansing that makes this moment even more dramatic. Verse 2, Jesus, if you are willing, you can make me not, not healed, but clean. Jesus, you, you, Jesus, can make me right with God. Now that puts this whole discussion on another level altogether, doesn't it? Because that, of course, is an issue we all need to know about. We are all spiritual lepers, cut off from God outside the camp. Not that we feel it, not the way the leper would. For the the leper, being put outside the camp would have left him lost and alone, separated from his family and friends, existing rather than living. But we don't feel that because everyone's outside the camp. We're all in the same boat. We're all far away, out of favour with the living God. We're all existing rather than living. It's a terrible situation to be in. And it is really terrible because there will be a day, Jesus says, as we'll see next week in verse 12, there will come a day when people will be thrown into the darkness, verse 12, where there'll be weeping and gnashing of teeth. Finally and forever cut off from God. Finally and forever put outside the camp. And that's why being a spiritual leper is such a terrible state to be in. And why it's such a precarious state to be in. Because we never know when we're going to find ourselves catapulted into the presence of God. Do you think that any of the 40 people killed yesterday in northern Nigeria after a dam collapsed, do you think any of those 40 people thought when they went to bed the night before that they would wake up in the presence of the Lord God Almighty the next morning? I don't suppose any of them did. See, being spiritually unclean is a terrible and precarious state to be in. And that's why, just like this leper, we need cleansing. And just like this leper, we can't cleanse ourselves. So can Jesus do it? Lord, verse 2, if you're willing, you can make me clean. Suddenly, it's a very important question, isn't it? Can Jesus do it? Verse 3, Jesus reached out his hand and touched the man. I am willing, he said. Be clean. And immediately he was cured of his leprosy. Immediately. Now that's powerful. Who else can do that? Jesus is that powerful and that compassionate. See, look again at the question in verse 2. A man with leprosy came and knelt before him and said, Lord, if you are willing, you can make me clean. If you are willing... Oh, we may be asking the question, can you? But that's not actually the question the leper asks. The leper doesn't doubt that Jesus can cleanse him. The leper wants to know if Jesus will cleanse him. And I would guess there'll be people here in this room tonight who feel just like that. Lord, would you really have me? There'll be people here who are very honest about themselves who who you may feel that you're absolutely nothing. Maybe people have told you for years that you're nothing. Maybe you just feel that you've failed, always not quite living up to other people's expectations, maybe not living up to your own standards. And you'll be asking, Lord, do you really care for someone as as loathsome as me? You may be ashamed of things in your life, of events in the past. There may be skeletons in the cupboard that every remembrance of them leaves you feeling guilty and humiliated and you're just pleased that everybody doesn't know about them. But you know God knows about them and you may think, God, 
you can't possibly want me, can you? That, of course, is how the leper felt. The leper was on the spiritual scrap heap in Jewish thought. But again, look at the real Jesus. Yeah, the real Jesus is awesome and powerful and the real Jesus is overwhelmingly compassionate. The real Jesus is willing to cleanse. He longs to embrace us, verse 3. Jesus reached out his hand and touched the man. It's a remarkably moving moment. This man probably hadn't felt the intimacy of a human touch in years. And yet Jesus reached out and touched him. Of course, Jesus didn't need to. Jesus often healed people by just saying the word. We'll see it next week in verse 13. He doesn't need to touch to heal. The touch here is wonderfully compassionate and very instructive as well. Do you see, again, Jesus' touch demonstrates who the real Jesus is. As Jesus reached out and touched the leper, not only was the leper cleansed, but crucially, Jesus wasn't contaminated. Jesus didn't become unclean. Now, just after the birth of our twin girls, um, Susanna and Bethan, they're six now, but just after uh, their birth, Bethan was, was very poorly. I, I'll never forget the, the, the day when I uh, took her to the doctors and, and the doctor looking at her distended stomach said, you've got to go straight to the hospital. Uh, and uh, we spent a lot of time in, in the hospital. I, I spent a lot of time visiting um, my wife Caroline and, and, um, and Susanna and Bethan were all in there together. And every time I went onto the ward, the hospital staff were insistent and quite rightly that I washed my hands thoroughly. Oh, you, you know, you've been on hospital wards, I'm sure, as well. Uh, the nurses were extremely careful, washing their hands every time they had contact with a patient. Because, of course, they know how disease spreads. We've all heard about the hospital superbug. Hospitals are, are not a great place to go if you're well. And I know that about 80% of the congregation are medics, so it's not a great place to go tomorrow morning. But there we are, that's what you have to do. It's too easy to go into hospital as a well person and come out infected. That's encouraging you for work tomorrow, isn't it? Because disease spreads. But of course it doesn't work the other way around, does it? You can't go into hospital as a well person and stand next to ill people so that they'll catch your good health. If that was the case, I'd happily spend half an hour every Saturday afternoon on a ward at the children's hospital. That was rather uh, good of me, half an hour. I'd do that much, would I? I'd happily go and stand next to six sick children to make them better for half an hour at least. I wouldn't do much more than that. Well, I wouldn't need to because they'd soon be healed. Because we'd all go and do it. They'd soon be healed in no time, wouldn't they? It doesn't work like that. We, catch good, we can't catch good health. We only catch disease. It's the same spiritually. Which is why this moment is so instructive. As Jesus touched the leper, Jesus didn't catch leprosy and Jesus didn't, more importantly, become unclean. And that is only true of Jesus. Had we been there, for every one of us, the moment we touched the leper, the law of God would have at that moment declared us unclean, cut off from God, and of course we wouldn't have been able to cleanse the leper either. But when Jesus touched him immediately, verse 3, the man was made clean. And to prove it, verse 4, Jesus said, Don't tell anyone, but go. Show yourself to the priest and offer the gift Moses commanded as a testimony to them. I wonder what would have happened. I guess at this point the leper would have, would have caught his breath, marvelled at the sight of his, his now perfect hands, 
He would, he would have grabbed a mirror and would hardly have believed his eyes as he, as he, as, as he looked into it and saw uh, his restored face. Uh, then he'd have belted down to see the priest at the temple, just as Jesus told him to do. And he'd have taken with him two live birds, some cedar wood, scarlet yarn and hyssop. That was the gift that Moses instructed in Leviticus chapter 14, verse 4. So just imagine the situation. Excited. Oh, so excited. The leper would have rushed off to see the priest. He wouldn't have thought about making an appointment. He would have just bombed down to the temple. And when he got there, the receptionist would have told him he'd have to wait. And after what seemed like an age of flicking through Country Life magazines in the waiting room, eventually he'd have heard the word next and the priest would have examined the leper. The priest would have first taken the leper outside the city, that's what it says in Leviticus chapter 14, and then he'd have examined him there. Say, ah, ah. Breathe in and out. Drop your trousers and cough, ahem. Thank you, you can do up your trousers now. And then came the moment of truth. Well, Mr. Leper, I I can hardly believe it, but you're right. You are clean. You've met the requirement of the law of Moses. So you can leave the leper colony and you can move back in with your family now. Now tell me again, who did this for you? Would have been quite some testimony to who Jesus is, wouldn't it? You see, that's verse 4. Go, show yourself to the priests and offer the gift Moses commanded as a testimony to them. Now we're not told how the priest responded. But it's obvious what this should have done for him. It should have made him look into who this Jesus is. Find out what all the fuss was about. And of course as he did investigate Jesus, he'd have come to realise who Jesus really was, the real Jesus. There was no doubt who cleansed the leper, it was Jesus. It wasn't the law of Moses. You see, all the law of God can do is pronounce us clean or unclean. The law here pronounced him clean. But the law could never make him clean. Only Jesus could do that. It's what Jesus said in those authoritative words that that when he'd spoken to the crowds up the mountain, in chapter 5 of Matthew, I've not come to abolish the law, but to complete it. He wasn't doing away with it, he was just showing you what the law was all about. It was all pointing to Jesus, the only one who can bring us cleansing. Had the priest looked into it, he would have come to the realisation that Jesus was indeed the fulfilment of the Old Testament law that Jesus really does have authority, just as he said he does, that he really is the ultimate authority, the one whom the law of Moses points towards. And the priest would have come to know Jesus. If he'd have come to know Jesus, he would have discovered that Jesus is wonderfully compassionate and very willing to cleanse those who come to him. And of course he'd have discovered that Jesus is the only one who can deal with the biggest need that we all have to be clean before almighty God no one else can do that no effort on my part can do that no religious observance can do that that's the point of looking at a leper to show us our own condition Jesus Christ did for this man what the law could never do and he he wants to do the same for you and me meet Jesus Christ and you can be clean before almighty God isn't that something? Have you ever heard that before? Well, I know many of you have, but some of you, that's amazing. 
experience the touch of Jesus and immediately your status before Almighty God will change instantly, immediately. So what do you make of him? The one who can cleanse lepers. The ones who can raise the dead. This is the real Jesus. Do you know him? The Jesus who can cleanse you and make you right with God? Or or do you have a virtual Jesus in your mind? You know, one who wouldn't be interested in someone as bad as you. Or a Jesus who doesn't think that being unclean matters, so he just lets everyone into his heaven. Have you found yourself saying, oh, well, I like to think Jesus as... Does that picture of Jesus you've got in your mind match up with the real one? Do you follow a virtual Jesus who makes no demands of you, who confirms you in all your thinking, but who can do absolutely nothing for you in reality? Let's pray together. Heavenly Father, we thank you that through the Bible we come face to face with the real Jesus. Not just a figment of our imagination. And he's far more amazing than we would ever believe were it not to be true. He's far more powerful than we could ever imagine and he's far more compassionate than we could ever hope for. And so we thank you that we've come face to face with him through the pages of Matthew's Gospel this evening. And we pray over these next weeks as we come face to face with him again and again that we would be more and more astonished, more and more amazed and more and more ready to live for him. We pray these things for his name's sake. Amen.